Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast is sponsored by Freedom Mortgage, dedicated to veterans and your homeownership needs. Visit freedommortgage.com forward slash CBS Vets, NMLS 2767, Equal Housing Lender. Welcome to Vet Story. I'm your host, Phil Briggs, and today we're going to follow up our discussion about medical marijuana and veterans. We're going to talk to an Army veteran who is currently a congressman fighting for medical marijuana. This is one of those issues that, that if I have to, I'll resort to shame on this. My God, listen to that testimony and tell me that we shouldn't at least be exploring if this is an alternative. We'll meet a marijuana policy activist who is not a fan of recreational marijuana. Look, I can find a congressman to say a lot of things. It's not surprising that you have a few congressmen, a couple dozen, that want to deschedule marijuana because they want to legalize it. And we'll meet a policy expert that exposed a letter from the VA secretary to Congress. That the secretary is explicitly lying to Congress and, frankly, lying to the American people. And like I say in the title of uh, the piece, lying to our veterans. So it was a couple months ago when we covered the story of three veterans and the American Legion who went to Capitol Hill and urged Congress to reclassify marijuana. I could go to the VA right now and say, hey, I'm having a bad day. They'll give me a whole bottle of Klonopin. A lot of guys do that because they just want to go to sleep. They just want to sleep. The goal was to support the bill H.R. 2020 which would change POTS classification from the insidious Schedule 1, which deems it essentially a nasty drug with no medical use, to a Schedule 2 or 3. The hope was that in doing this, it'd be easier for science to conduct medical research on POTS efficacy in treating PTSD and chronic pain. We even heard the bill's sponsor, Representative Matt Gates, and he made some bold assertions about the federal government's position on marijuana. The federal government has lied to the American people for a generation about cannabis in asserting that it has no medical value. Congressman Gates even speculated when his bill would be heading out of committee and ready to be voted on. And my hope would be that that legislation would move out of the Judiciary Committee in the first quarter of 2018. So here we are, the start of a new year and ready to see what Congress is doing. Did they find other politicians who will join them in helping our veterans? Or maybe taking the shackles off scientists so they can look at medical marijuana without a ton of bureaucratic barriers? The one thing we will hear in this podcast today is who is trying to help and who's just straight blowing smoke. Now, about a month ago, I saw a story about veterans and cannabis on the news. It was another piece about a veteran whose headspace was haunted by a war he couldn't get away from. 
His condition worsened by the heavy drugs that the VA prescribed. And it was only after marijuana that he was able to feel good again. Our first guest appeared in that piece. But he didn't exactly sound pro-pot. In fact, he seemed to be warning against it. What might feel good in the short term is not necessarily good in the long term. He is Kevin Sabet, president of Smart Approaches to Marijuana and a former White House drug policy advisor. So I started following him on Twitter, and from his Twitter feed, it seemed to me like he was against marijuana. Take this tweet, for instance. Dear members of Congress supporting pot, rich Wall Street investors are very pleased with you now. They are talking now about how exciting the new pro-pot bills are. As the old union saying goes, which side are you on? Sincerely, public health. So with tweets like that, we asked him to explain his position on pot. Well, look, my position is we want, uh, first of all, I want to thank all the veterans out there that have served their country and saved millions and millions of lives and done so honorably. And I'm thankful every day for that and for the work that they've done and the blood, sweat, tears that they've shed. And so we want to make sure that, you know, my position is that, look, if we have something that can help veterans in the long term or short term, that's, that's very good. And we should develop those into medications. What I don't love is the idea of medication by popular vote and um, by, you know, does this feel good right now? I can tell you two shots of whiskey feels great, too, sometimes for people. That's not a great pain management tool for the long term. Um, it can have negative long-term as- a- uh, aspects of it. And with, re- with regards to marijuana, so I do think there is medical value. I just, we don't smoke it, and I think we can get it through different components, and we really should get it through the FDA and through scientific testing. I don't like the idea of veterans as guinea pigs, there are multi-billion dollar companies that want to use compassion as a way to get into the marketplace, and they see veterans as a lucrative sector and customer base. Those are not companies that have scientific background. Those are business companies. And so I don't want to see veterans used um, by companies that really just want to get rich. I do want to see research happening, and I think there can be research, and there is research happening, and we can find out you know, what is what is available uh, there and how we can actually, um, you know, uh, you know, get medicine that could be helpful for people. The next thing we got into was a little bit of recent news about how Attorney General Jeff Sessions wants to crack down on marijuana. If we don't flip the script on that issue, how can we ever move forward with finding any efficient treatment or good use of marijuana? A lot to unpack there. So first of all, it didn't refer back to 1970, although it did refer to the Controlled Substance Act. It's referring back to the pre-2013 days. This memo in no way targets individual users or patients. So this is not a, the federal resources have never targeted individual users. So we got to be clear about that or, or, or individual patients. So this isn't going to touch a veteran doing that. Secondly, for, for research, Actually, there are hundreds of researchers that do research marijuana every day under the Schedule 1, even though it is Schedule 1. That, one of the biggest myths in marijuana policy, I'd say, Phil, is that you can't do research on marijuana because it's a Schedule 1 drug. That's actually incorrect. Um, I know I know literally dozens that do it. And then when I was at the White House, I actually reviewed just, you know, very curious to see who's doing it, where it's happening, because we always wanted to be up on the research. It's hundreds of researchers have Schedule One licenses. Uh, the legalization movement has done a brilliant job at branding and saying that, oh, my God, because it's illegal, you can't research it. Opiate, it opium is illegal. Ecstasy, MDMA is illegal. We do research on those things every day. But why is it that there is a currently 
uh, on the House side, H.R. 2020, which wants to knock it down from Schedule 1 to Schedule 3 or Schedule 2. And the sole purpose, Congressman Gates told me, was so as the scientific community could do more research with cannabis because currently federal regulations make it difficult. If they don't prohibit it all out, doctor, do they, do, they not, do, the, do they not make the it difficult? Because the young congressman from Florida, yeah, because the young congressman from Florida is mistaken. I've been researching this for 20 years. It's where I have a PhD from Oxford. I did my undergrad at Berkeley. I was tapped by General McCaffrey, as you know, the youngest living four-star general at the time in the late 90s when he was tapped by President Clinton to be drug czar. He actually served... General McCaffrey serves on my advisory board now with Sam. There are many people that are either mistaken or, I hate to say it, and, and I'm not saying that Congressman Gates does this, but I think the companies do, purposefully obfuscate the issue and say, oh, no, 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 we have to reschedule, or they actually say deschedule more often now. They sort of abandoned. They know that if you reschedule to Schedule 2, actually not much changes, which is interesting. When, if you reschedule marijuana to Schedule 2, it has nothing to do with penalties. Scheduling is not a harm index or a penalties index, and it, it's often seen as such. Um, and so what a lot of people are actually saying, well, let's deschedule the whole thing. And many members of Congress, by the way, who love marijuana, they either, I, I hate to say it, many some of them use marijuana recreationally, or they are funded by the industry. They are, so I'm not surprised, look, I can find a congressman to say a lot of things. It's not surprising that you have a few congressmen, a couple dozen, that want to deschedule marijuana because they want to legalize it. And they, they are using often, oh, no, no, we have to do research as the reason to do it. All I'm saying, and I think this is very reasonable, is to say, let's not muddy the conversation between recreational medical and frankly decriminalization which is also different but it, it, it just still seems to me man as i try to get my brain around schedule one versus another schedule and i know it may not be the most important determinant in whether or not we can research cannabis but it does seem odd that they've said there is no medical well, use for marijuana and that's is the prerequisite for being a schedule well, one but yet there's let guys me, out there there's war fighters i've talked to man that literally the opiates that they've been given by the va have oh, brought these guys yeah. to their knees and they're getting, I mean, to their knees. They've, they've had the gun in their mouth, Doc, and they've wanted to pull that trigger because they weren't themselves anymore. They were in the grips yeah, of listen, opiate and seroquel addiction. But yet me, cannabis didn't do that for them, and yet you're here to say that, like, it's still okay for it to be categorized as Schedule 1. Doesn't that just make the old, white-haired guys in suits on Capitol Hill me, less likely well, to allow us uh, to address sure. it as a medicinal thing? No, no, because the FDA is the one who says we are researching it. Let me tell you something, what, what, what you're mistaking, though, here. First of all, um, it's not odd because can you get marijuana from a pharmacist in a dosage? Of course not. It's in so many doses. We don't even know what's in it. It hasn't been regulated and tested. It can't be classified as a medication because um, it's raw plant material. However, you can classify elements of it. And those elements can be medications. And by the way, they are medications. Some of them already are. Marinol is a Schedule Three drug. You can get that at a pharmacy. It's a pill form. There are many other ones, and there are others in development. Yeah, I agree did, with didn't you. the big pharmacy industry doubt. make Marinol? I mean, we're, not, we're just, I mean, God makes weed. We don't need Marinol from God Pfizer makes poison in ivy a pill. Too, but would you want, wait a minute, God makes poison ivy too. So what? We need it in a form that actually is going to be healthy for people and not and, and have a defined dosage. It's not a medicine by legal definition without a defined dosage and without going through safety and efficacy trials. Marijuana has failed at that because A, other drugs have been more efficacious, and B, it is grown in so many different ways with so many different compounds. Remember, 
the cannabis plant is a very complex plant. It has over 400 components. Some of them are called cannabinoids. Others are called terpenes. Others are called flavonoids. There are so many different combinations of the cannabis genus plant that we need to look at which ones make sense. And I agree with you. We need to speed up that research. We need to get that done to help people. And by the way, I'm also not saying to the individual veteran that it's doing something that helps them, that they are, you know, a bad person or they should go to jail or prison. There were moments I felt like we were singing from the same hymnal during this interview. And then there were the points that he made about the other drugs showing greater efficacy because they've had clinical trials. And I thought, well, of course they show greater performance. Of course opiates kill pain better than cannabis because we haven't done a whole lot of studies in scientific laboratories with marijuana. While I can appreciate your sentiment that marijuana as a plant may not in and of itself be medicinal, but when you break it down and you get the CBDs out of it or you get the various compounds out of it, you know, then it can begin to form medicine. Well, I mean, you know, to me, I just think we should stop putting barriers. And I think we're agreeing on this. Stop putting barriers in between scientifically looking at it because an avocado ain't a bowl of guacamole. But, you know, I chop it up. I add some tomatoes, some cilantro and some lemon juice and boom, you know what? I got myself an appetizer. But (laughs) it's the same thing to me with the marijuana. I mean, by simply, you know, recategorizing our outlook on it will, I think, open up the doors to more people allowing it to be used in a different way, even though the raw form of pot or weed is not the final form of the medicine. You got to start somewhere, Doc. Uh, Well, I think we are. I think we want what's in the best interest of all populations, not just veterans. It's also kids with seizures. I think there is promise with CBD oil if it's done in the proper way. And I, by the way, I do think CBD is going to be approved by the FDA later this year in a, in a, in a pharmaceutical form. That's the right way to do this. Let's believe for a second that Dr. Sibet is right and that the feds allow science to research marijuana right now. Then we should be well on our way to learning if marijuana really helps veterans manage pain, right? Wrong. And this is where the smoke really starts to get blown around. Just a few days into 2018, U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions states that the Department of Justice will now uphold the federal law with respect to marijuana. Essentially, what they're saying is they're going to rescind an Obama-era memo that directed federal prosecutors to basically not fuss with pot businesses in states which have legalized pot, whether medicinal or recreational. I heard the first report about this from the Associated Press's Sagar Magani. It's illegal in eight states and here in Washington, D.C., but growing, buying, or using pot is still illegal under federal law. The AP has learned Sessions will let federal prosecutors in areas where it is legal decide how aggressively to enforce those federal laws, a move expected to add confusion in those nine jurisdictions about whether pot is legal or not. And then I heard AP correspondent Sadie Gurman give a little bit more perspective. Sessions has been aggressively anti-marijuana for a long time. He has compared marijuana to heroin. He has blamed it for spikes in violent crime. So advocates have long been expecting him to take some kind of action against the industry. So this is his first move in that direction. Hmm. I was curious about this. So we called the Department of Justice. And I emailed an interview request. It read as follows. As part of our coverage of news about marijuana legislation for millions of military veterans, we request a phone interview with the DOJ representative or a federal prosecutor regarding their stance on the enforcement of marijuana laws, per the Attorney General's recent memo. And they quickly replied, and it read as follows. Hey, Phil, thanks for reaching out. Unfortunately, we have to decline the interview opportunity at this time. 
Now, check this out. I can tell you on background, which means I can only cite a DOJ official. I can't actually tell you the name of this person's email. But according to a DOJ official, they say that the Justice Department won't violate federal law to pursue marijuana-related prosecutions. Thank you immensely for your service. Signed, a person whose name I can't say. Let me just read that again. <laughs> I can tell you on background that the Justice Department won't violate federal law to pursue marijuana-related prosecutions. Huh. Well, isn't that nice? <laughs> The Department of Justice promises they won't break the law in order to prosecute marijuana cases. I mean, I was kind of hoping that our government doesn't break in general when arresting people, but I'm really pleased to know that the Department of Justice is not going to break the damn law. Thank you for your service. But let's stay on topic here and understand how this affects vets. So I followed up with another question and I asked again. Thanks for your reply. I can quickly get over my head in legal discussions, which is why I was hoping for a soundbite from you. I respect that the DOJ may not may wish to avoid commenting on something as fluid as this current situation. But what can I tell combat vets about their state's cannabis programs? If the DOJ won't, quote, violate any federal laws to pursue marijuana prosecutions, what will federal prosecutors look to prosecute? Are we talking growers, dispensaries? Is it up to each federal district court's prosecutor? And most importantly, can a veteran who buys pot legally in his state at a legal dispensary be arrested for that according to federal law? And again, I got a nice reply. They write, still as a DOJ official, the Department of Justice is returning to rule of law and returning local control to federal prosecutors so they can evaluate the public safety threats to their districts and determine how to pursue marijuana-related prosecutions. In making those decisions, U.S. attorneys should also follow long-established principles. And then he sent me two links to justice.gov forward slash forward slash forward slash numbers, letters, numbers, letters. Uh, basically, they're links to federal prosecutorial guidelines. Let me just click on one. And it's a link to a document that's probably hundreds of pages long, uh, 9-27.230, Initiating and Declining Charges, Substantial Federal Interest. Um, a, in determining whether prosecution should be declined because no substantial federal interest would be served by prosecution, the attorney for the government should weigh in on all relevant considerations, including federal law enforcement priorities, the nature and seriousness of the offense, the deterrent effect of prosecution, the person's culpability in connection with offense. I mean, there's so much law and so much stuff in these links that really it doesn't answer the specific question that I asked. How are federal prosecutors going to proceed with prosecuting marijuana cases? And can a vet get locked up for just simply buying stuff that's legal in his backyard? So if you think those DOJ officials are just basically blowing smoke, wait to hear what happens next. I saw the American Legion retweet an article from Brookings that said the VA just flat out refuses to do any research on cannabis. I mean, why would the VA, whose job it is, is to help veterans, just refuse, just, just flat out say no to doing any research with this, when in the past, they've said that they would consider all options to help our warfighters. 
we asked the author of this article. John Hudak. I'm a senior fellow in governance studies and deputy director of the Center for Effective Public Management at Brookings. Essentially, what we're talking about here in this situation with the VA talking about marijuana research to Congress is there's been a back and forth, right? There was like a letter that they drafted last October, and I'm referring to the House Veterans Affairs Committee, right? Yep, and that's they, right. And they wrote a letter to the VA, specifically Secretary Shulkin, and said, hey, man, uh, can you start doing some cannabis research? We got all kinds of VSOs. We got all kinds of veterans saying that they're trying to use it. They want to use it. Some are having help using it. Uh, can you start researching, right? Yes. And and then tell me about what happened next. So what happened next was uh, what normally happens, and that is when a congressional committee sends a federal agency or a cabinet secretary or whomever a letter, um, it goes through a review process, and internally they decide uh, what their response is going to be like. And the VA secretary, David Shulkin, sent a response back to Congress right before Christmas. So this letter came from, the original letter came from the minority of the Veterans Affairs Committee, so the Democratic ranking member of the Veterans Affairs Committee in the House. And uh, Secretary Shulkin uh, sent him a letter back uh, a few days before Christmas. I noticed, one, it was like about 45 days or 30 days late. I mean, you know, they asked him to get back to him in November, and Shulkin got back to him in December 21st, just before Christmas. And his reply was really brief. I mean, like, on its face, the the actual text of the letter was like three paragraphs, probably under, a, you know, 150 words. But it basically just says that they're committed to developing ways to help vets cope with post-traumatic stress and chronic pain. However, the federal law restricts the VA's ability to conduct research involving medical marijuana. And then he goes on to, like, include this like fact sheet and you know i'm not a scientist so i i I don't fully understand all this stuff but it's pretty plain english and as i read through it i noticed that um i don't know i mean some of it just even if you're not a scientist some of it just kind of looked like bullshit uh in your article you actually say there are seven major problems with secretary shulkin's response to the democratic members of the house veterans affairs committee those problems range from a mischaracterization of federal law to a faulty analysis of current medical research so let's start and look at a few of the of the seven sins if you will um beginning with number one uh, is the va restricted from doing research with cannabis because it's a schedule one drug Absolutely not. And this is what's what's really uh, one of the worst parts of this letter for me. Uh, and that is that the secretary is explicitly lying to Congress and frankly, lying to the American people. And like I say, in the title of uh, the piece, lying to our veterans, uh, there are definitely bureaucratic hurdles that are in place oddly, because of uh, federal agencies that make it harder to study marijuana and its medical efficacy than it is to study other drugs. In fact, it's even harder to study marijuana than it is to study other Schedule One drugs. But universities across the United States study this every day. They find ways to overcome those hurdles. And in fact, one of the ironies is the secretary points to a report that VA commissioned to take a look at the literature. And that literature is about the medical efficacy of marijuana. Well, if you can't study marijuana, how would there be any literature to look at to assess whether there's medical efficacy? And so either he explicitly lied and tried to pull the wool over Congress's eyes, 
or the most generous way you could interpret that VA is restricted, quote unquote restricted, is to say that there are a lot of bureaucratic hurdles. And frankly, if you're a veteran, if you served a couple of tours in Afghanistan and you've got a purple heart and you're suffering from chronic pain every day, I don't think the VA secretary saying there's too much red tape for us to get you well is something that they're going to digest too well. One of the things I found powerful about your article is that uh, you said that the VA facts or analysis of existing research is incomplete, if not completely false. Uh, Talk to me about how their analysis of existing research, they got it wrong. What I point to in uh, my piece is a narrow part of this broader VA report that uh, VA commissioned and they had a a group, a team of medical doctors review the literature. Now, that literature review is hundreds of pages long and there's a lot in it to digest. It's not all about chronic pain and PTSD, which is what Congress wanted to hear about. Uh, There's a lot in it. And frankly, there's a lot in it that's right. Um, It talks about the limitations that exist in the research, the limitations that exist in our understanding. But there are some real uh, problems uh, with this report. And the one that I focus on, namely, is their conclusion about the uh, current state of evidence about cannabis's uh, efficacy, how well it can be used to treat chronic pain. They say that there's um, insufficient evidence of that relationship. That is to say, uh, we don't know uh, whether cannabis helps chronic pain or not. But a a bigger uh, uh, study commissioned by the federal government, namely the the, uh, National Academies of uh, Medicine, found exactly the opposite last January. And they said there's significant evidence of uh, the efficacy of cannabis for the treatment of chronic pain. And so that difference, uh, I think, in a broader report is probably minor. In a broader report where uh, the the two reports agree on quite a bit, not everything, but quite a bit. But when you're talking about chronic pain, a, a condition that so many Americans suffer from, but also a condition that so many veterans suffer from, and you're writing a report for the VA, I think that difference is troubling. Uh, And the National Academies of Medicine were able to understand and see in the literature that link, but this report isn't, or it didn't rather, and and that's a problem, and it becomes a real problem for veterans. I also want to bring up a couple other things that your article revealed, and that is uh, something about the flawed logic of cannabis side effects. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so there's there's a bunch of side effects, and, and uh, impaired driving would obviously be considered a side effect. Some of the more uh, medical or psychological side effects uh, are oftentimes based on observational research. And so that is, instead of going into a lab and getting a certain amount of cannabis and using it in a controlled way and seeing what happens, these observational research studies will say um, to a user, how often do you use cannabis? How much cannabis do you use? And then also talk about whether they have suicidal thoughts, whether they have mania, whether they have uh, you know, insomnia, whether they have a variety of things. Well, again, cannabis might be associated with those things, but unless you're doing something in the setting of a double-blind uh, placebo uh, experimental test, you don't know whether it's the cause. So these observational studies fill us in on some of these issues, but not all of them. But the other thing that, that you get from sort of observational studies is 
people who are using this and driving. And that's something that you should never do. Unfortunately, some people believe that if they use marijuana, it doesn't impair their driving. We know it does. Uh, but in, in, this, in this case, the, the most mind-boggling part was the secretary saying, well, the problem here is that, uh, quote, there's moderate strength evidence from analysis of um, observational studies that acute cannabis intoxication was associated with a moderate increase in motor vehicle collisions. Well, if that's the case, you've got to start emptying out VA pharmacies, uh, because if the barrier for conducting research or dispensing medicine from a VA facility is that it might impair your driving, that's probably, no, that's certainly true of a lot of pharmaceuticals. And so that, that uh, stood up to me as clearly an indication that the VA secretary is looking for an out here, and he's not really thinking through this analysis. So what's next? Does the VA secretary get to just give up on research that could help our warfighters because the Fed law makes it restrictive? We not only went back to Congress to get the answer to that question, but we asked a veteran. Tim Walls, and I am U.S. Representative from the 1st District of Minnesota. An enlisted veteran. I did spend 24 years as an artilleryman. Uh, in the Army, in the, the National Guard of Minnesota. Uh, I ran for Congress in 2006. I did, not have, uh, I did not have any political experience, but I thought I maybe brought a, a perspective to that. And I, am, uh, I take this as an honor. I, when I got here, the House historian let me know I am the highest ranking enlisted military personnel in the history of the country to serve in, in Congress. So uh, my, uh, my background is, is, is what's right for those troops is the right thing to do. And that's kind of this issue of, of, of why I land where I land. And to certainly appreciate knowing that you are a former enlisted, as I am former enlisted Navy, and I think the only things we won't agree about here is who should have won that football game back in December. <laughs> we are still gloating over here, just so you know, Phil. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you are, Congressman. All right, let's get to the tough stuff now. Uh, near as I can tell, I've done a lot of research, a lot of reading on the kind of back and forth, but uh, I was lucky enough to get a copy of the letter that you sent the Honorable David Shulkin, Secretary of the Veteran Affairs, and it said in it, and this was going back to last October. Can you please put into action a plan that will address how you will begin doing medical research to cannabis? And then you got a reply. Can you tell me quickly about the reply? Yeah, well, and, and I don't think it's any secret. Uh, the relationship I have with Secretary Shulkin is very good. I've advocated for him to, to have that position. Uh, we've worked closely on many issues and uh, probably there has not been a, a more surprising uh thing that happened. And what I got back was a reply that was, was simply seemed counter to everything that the secretary had done. It was, uh, it was factually incorrect. Um, it dismissed uh, a, a, an idea that many of us know are there, that these are veterans that are, that are trying to get relief from whether PTS or if they're trying to get, you know, making sure that their pain, they don't want to be on opioids because of, we all know where that's taken us. And folks are begging for us and, and 92% of veterans support it. The American Legion's with us. And so I just asked them, I said, let's get data. Let's, let's not jump to conclusions or anything. It's not as if we were chastising them and telling them to start getting in, you know, to this right now, but many States have done it. It's been incredibly positive. Veterans are asking for it. And what I got back was a letter that, that misrepresented their ability to do the research uh, dismissed the the concern that veterans had and and didn't give any plan for for what they were going to do, which which runs counter to some of the changes they made over there. I don't know if if your listeners are pretty in, informed on this, but the the 
VA finally allowed their physicians to be able to talk to people about their marijuana usage and how they're using that to treat some of the issues that they're having. Um, and so uh, very disappointed would be my response. We have crafted a, uh, a response to the response, if you will, uh, coming back at this again, because uh, I'm not quite sure what's going on. Um, I'm not quite sure if uh, the desire to align with where the Justice Department and Attorney General Sessions is, but something is not the way it's always been, and, and that is simply not acceptable because at the end of what we're trying to do here is better care for our veterans, providing alternative solutions to them. And all I asked for was, let's do the research to see if this works. Couldn't a guy in Secretary Shulkin's position, in charge of one of the largest divisions of our government, couldn't he just come to you guys and say, hey, these um, restrictions that you have in place on, on working with Schedule One substances to find medical studies, couldn't he just come to you guys and say, hey, it's a little bit tough. Can you lighten yeah. this for us? Absolutely. And we would we would start. We're going to start working on that right now. But with his support on this, I would do whatever he needs to make this happen, keeping those those safeguards in place of getting that off schedule one to, to make sure it happens. And, and I will have to say, Phil, the secretary and this is I, I mean, that's why I'm a huge advocate of him. We started to see, especially and you've probably witnessed it too, the use of service dogs in all kinds of different situations, not just for our blinded veterans, but for folks dealing with uh, some of the emotional scars of war. And the secretary came to us last year and just made a profound statement because I've been pushing this issue of expansion of service dogs. He said, there's not a lot of empirical data out there, he said, but I have never met one of our veterans who has a service dog who doesn't believe they're being helped, so I'm just going to authorize it. Um, I'm not asking him to make a blanket move on that with medical cannabis. I'm just asking for him to make a blanket move to get the research that I am and others are, are fairly certain, and there's enough private sector data to show this. He's going to come to that same conclusion that this improves veterans' lives. It is less dangerous and addictive than going to the opioids, and it's something that we shouldn't be criminalizing our veterans over an issue that is, to be very honest, depending on what your zip code is, legal. For many of our veterans and illegal for others. So yes, he could absolutely do that. He would have uh, absolute support up here. But again, I don't want to play naive in this. Uh, that would run counter to where the Department of Justice is, is taking us on this issue right now. Can I ask you, as I've researched a little bit here um, with respect to Secretary Shulkin's reply to you, he said that <clears throat> Federal restrictions restrict the VA's ability to conduct research involving medical marijuana. But yet I've had people tell me that its classification as Schedule 1 doesn't prohibit it does not. them it, it, from doing that. That is actually incorrect. And so as we, so we, we, do we need H.R. 2020 to take the handcuffs uh, off of the VA for them to do this research? No, no, but I, I think uh, I think Mr. Gates is, is is right about that. I, and, and again, that's why I think that's a separate issue. We thought, you know, going in the order and ordering legislation made sense on this. But no, you're absolutely right, Bill. And this is what's most disappointing about this. And this is where I have to believe this is where the political pressure coming from Department of Justice is interfering with this. Because to be very honest, I I was almost dumbstruck that the secretary would stay that because that is factually incorrect. And as long as I've known the secretary over many years, uh, I have never known him to be factually incorrect on anything. Um, and especially in responding to, to members and what we need, this is the, uh, an incredibly smart and incredibly accomplished and, and, and coming out of his office, something that was there. Now, I will give the benefit of the doubt of saying that they're restricted, meaning 
I will give them a more generous definition of that, that maybe what they were replying is, is that it just was hard to do it, not forbidden from doing it. Either way, I would come back to, it's not forbidden, so they're wrong on that account. And the restricted, again, making an excuse because it's hard to do it is no reason not to do it. Um, and again, your question earlier was, can't he just come to you and help him make it easier? And the answer is absolutely he can. I'm astonished to hear people suggest we can solve our heroin crisis. Have you heard this? By having more marijuana. Well, how stupid is that? Uh, give me a break. So we're going to have to stand up and confront that. Tell the truth here. Our nation, nation needs to say clearly once again that using drugs is bad. It will destroy your life. In the 80s and 90s, we saw campaigns uh, stressing prevention. I spent a lot of volunteer time with volunteers in my hometown, as I think happened all over. Many of you participated in those, and it did work. Yep, that clip we just heard is from YouTube user Live Satellite News, and it's Attorney General Sessions back in 2017 addressing law enforcement officials at a speech in Richmond, Virginia. Just listen to how he weaves marijuana in and around his comments about heroin. As the market for this heroin expands, gangs fight for territory and new customers, citizens are caught in the crossfire. I saw it on the Gulf Coast with the huge marijuana in, 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 the, in the 1970s. Whole cities and towns were corrupted by big money and big drugs. Now, no disrespect, but all this is coming from a guy who has served his country, but as a lawyer, never as a soldier, sailor, airman, or marine. And maybe that's why he just doesn't get it. Maybe he's never talked face-to-face -face with a warfighter, a guy who's seen some of the worst things humanity has to offer and whose only solace, whose only comfort, whose only way of feeling normal again is using some degree of marijuana. You're going to take those pills because they prescribe them to you, and if you're not in compliance with them, they can take away your benefits. What woke me up is the day that I reached up in my closet, I grabbed my gun, and I put it to my head. Without medical marijuana, I couldn't get up here and speak. You are a zombie on the combat cocktail. The VA doctor decided to give my son Kalanapin. Eight days later, my son was dead. And again, that clip refers back to our previous podcast where we had the pleasure and the honor of meeting guys like Joshua James Frey, Boone Cutler, Janine Lutz. As a vet, I'm certain the men and women finding relief with marijuana don't give a damn about getting high or recreational use. They want something to take away the pain. And when it comes down to that, whether it's the VA secretary or the attorney general, we want them to answer this simple question. Are you trying to help or are you just blowing smoke? I saw it on the Gulf Coast with the huge marijuana in, 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 in the 1970s. Blowing smoke. For ConnectingVets.com, I'm Phil Briggs, and we'll follow up on this story, as well as find more tales to tell on the next episode of Vet Story. Special thanks to Minnesota Congressman Tim Waltz, Brookings' John Hudak, Dr. Kevin Sebeck, 
Sagar Magani and Sadie German at the Associated Press, and LiveSatelliteNews.com. You can also find regular reporting on cannabis and veterans by my colleague Matt Saintsing at ConnectingVets.com. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.